it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Thank you. Yes, it is me, Mary Walter, in for Brian Kilmeade. Great to be with you as always. Yeah, so uh, let's start off this hour. Speaking with a former GOP nominee for the governor of Michigan, Tudor Dixon, joining us. Follow Tudor at Tudor Dixon on Twitter. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thank you for having me. There is just so much to talk to you about. Now, since you were a former GOP nominee for the governor of Michigan, who better to discuss the Michigan governor, Gretchen Whitmer? Boo. Um, And she gave final approval to a red flag law in Michigan. Michigan joins now, I think they're the 21st state to now have uh, a red flag law implemented. And what a red flag law does is someone can go to the police and um, say that you are dangerous, you have guns, and a judge would have 24 hours to decide on a protection order if after a request is filed, granted. And um, it allows family members and uh, mental health professionals to petition the judge to remove firearms if they believe that you pose an imminent threat to yourself or others. Uh, Do you see anything wrong with this? Well, you know, sadly, we haven't seen that these are effective. We saw uh, just a couple years ago in Chicago a situation where if people had felt comfortable turning this person in or or, or doing this, then they, the law was in place and, and they didn't. You know, I mean, if we look back at the Oxford shooting, the high school shooting in Michigan, this was a case where the parents were not only providing the weapon, but also the ammo and encouraging this boy to get very involved with firearms. And then he ended up coming to the school and shooting the school up. And so um, we're looking at this and, and saying, are these real solutions? When are Democrats going to offer real solutions on some of the, the issues that we see with violence across the country? And I say violence. I mean, we're talking about violence in many different ways, whether the person is bringing a gun to the crime or they're just beating someone up. I mean, we're hearing stories of a father who was beaten up and killed in Maryland. We're hearing the story of the professor that holds the machete to the person's neck. When are Democrats going to get serious about violence? in general and saying, okay, there are consequences for your actions. Because at the end of the day, if you're going to give a little space for someone to commit a crime, they're going to commit a crime every time. Someone said to me the other day, look, if we have a speed limit of 80, but you know you can go 79 and you can go nine over without getting, or you can go um, 89 without getting in trouble, then you're going to go 89 every single time. And and that's what we're seeing with, with crime across the nation. If you can steal $900 worth of stuff, you're going to steal and stores are going to close and the city is going to be filled with criminals and people that are doing drugs. If you can get away with crime, with beating people up, with with hitting someone on the subway, you're going to do it. I want to see Democrats say the laws that are already on the books are going to be enforced. And that'll change Democrat cities, fundamentally change Democrat cities to be safer, to create safe communities, to allow people to live in without fear. 
So let me ask you, I always, whenever we have these conversations, there's quite a few things that I, I, I would like to discuss with you. And I always look at the question, especially when I'm looking at laws, and I look at, okay, who benefits from this? Because I, I, I learned long ago that it's usually not we the people. So usually someone who's signing a bill or someone who's introduced it, there's somehow a benefit somewhere down the road. So I look at this, and what is the benefit of not keeping your people safe? You know, right now, the only benefit that we see is that they they are winning elections by considering the criminal the victim. And they're going around and they've, they've changed the narrative. But I honestly, I think that that benefit is going to change pretty quickly here because people are seeing things. I mean, let's talk about Michigan State University, the shooting that happened at Michigan State University. Michigan is currently home to four of the 20 most violent cities in the country. Lansing, the capital city where Michigan State University is located, is the 17th most violent city in the nation. And and that's the reality of this. Nobody's talking about this when they talk about this shooting. Shootings are actually happening just a few blocks over from the university regularly because this is a very violent city. This man wanders onto the university campus, and this is completely this completely goes back to lawlessness. The Democrats have used this term of lawlessness. They've they've pushed this on to people, saying this is, this is kind. This is equity. This is allowing people to have what they need. Remember when we were told that the people that were raiding the the coach and the Louis Vuitton in Chicago, they had to have those because they couldn't eat at night. They had to be able to steal things to sell them. I mean, this narrative can only go so far. We're seeing their narrative kind of fall apart when you look at Bud Light, when you look at Target. They've been been pushing this on people. and, And so far, they had been successful with the crime with defunding the police that changed people suddenly said actually we don't want to defund the police they'd been successful pushing you know what there's people that want to be trans kids actually want to be trans we're going to push this these things on these different marketing tools and these different swimming suits whatever it is mm-hmm. on children that's backfiring on them now i think that conservatives have just started to see actually we do have a voice and we can vote with our wallets we can start to push this aside and democrats may have a very interesting 2024 because of that Interesting. Uh, you're, uh, you've gotten a little ahead of me, but we're going down the same path, which I do like. Let's go back to the red flag laws here. The thing that I have a problem with with this is the judge has 24 hours, as I said, to decide on a protection order after a request is filed. If the judge grants the request, the judge would then have 14 days to set a hearing during which the flagged person would have to prove they do not pose a significant risk. A standard order would last one year. So they strip you of your Second Amendment rights. They come to your home, usually in a pre-dawn raid because they're afraid of you because you're you're a danger. They knock down your door. They come in and they, they, they take your guns from you, right? And then you get to go to court to prove your innocence. I'm sorry. I didn't think that's the way the system was set up where you have to prove your innocence. Right. I thought you were innocent until proven guilty. How is this legal? 
Yeah, well, when when have we ever seen that? Exactly what you said, that, that this person is now having to prove that they're not the problem instead of the other person having to prove that they are the problem. And this is fundamentally why people complain about red flag laws, because they say, look, you could get into a dispute with a neighbor. You could get into a dispute with a, a spouse or a, a next spouse. You could get into a dispute with a family member. And you can say this person is a danger to me. Now, that person automatically is in a situation where they have to prove they are not a danger. This is where red flag laws end up being faulty because those people feel, there are people that feel, gosh, I could have my weapon taken away at any time. We have some interesting things that have happened in Michigan, though. We have, you know, you you think about the legal process going through the legislature, but we've given power over to some of our agencies as well. So you have... The uh, I think it's the DNR that has the ability to go after you if you're out hunting and they can give you a misdemeanor if you don't have on Hunter's Orange or something like that. That can also take away your concealed carry. So if you have a misdemeanor, suddenly you have no more concealed carry. These are hunters. They're likely the guys that the men and women who would have a concealed carry. So there are overreaches across the board when it comes to weapons in the state of Michigan. There is a real push for the Democrats to see if they can take away anybody's right to bear arms. And that's been something that the legislature has been able to stand up to for some time because it's been read for 40 years. But it has it has been sneaking into areas where agencies are suddenly making laws, which is outrageous. So so this doesn't surprise me. But that's why it's so important for people to get involved locally and to also fight when it comes to election time. Yeah. uh, And Associated Press analysis in September found that in the 19 states with red flag laws, firearms were removed from people 15,049 times since 2020, which is about 10 per every 100,000 residents. But here's the thing. And you made a good point. There is... um, we, we, we have, you, know, you talk about restraining orders, right? And you talked about an ex-spouse or, or a, a neighbor or something. It is well known that especially in, in acrimonious divorces, somebody, and it's usually the women, sorry, ladies, but it is, goes and gets a restraining order against the husband. And all you have to do is walk in and say, I'm in the middle of a divorce. My husband threatened me. And the cops go to his place of work. He served with um, a temporary restraining order. It's humiliating, and that's why this is being done, or they're fighting over the kids or whatever it happens to be. And it's they're very easy to get because no judge or no police officer wants to say no, and then something has, I don't believe you, and have something happen to that person. So then the other per the, the spouse, the neighbor, whoever it happens to be, has to get a lawyer, has to go to court, in order to prevent a permanent restraining order being put against them. Now, luckily, temporary restraining orders don't go on your record, which is great. But permanent ones do. And it's another situation in which you have to prove your innocence. So we've already been down this road, and we do it quite often. And I can tell you, I know people who have done this and who were in bitter divorces and purposely did it to get back at the other spouse because of you know a disagreement over custody with the kids it's a tough situation i mean in michigan obviously there are cases when those are necessary though so you have to consider the fact that you know there are women who are in dangerous situations michigan i believe the last numbers i looked at michigan was in the top five states for rapes per capita i mean 
This is the problem. When you allow a culture of violence, when you allow a a culture of crime, you end up in a situation where generally the people who are in the most danger are women and minority women. And that's just the facts. And in Michigan, that is where the majority of the crimes are committed against women and minority women. Tudor, I'm just going to stop you there. All right, we'll come back to this. I apologize. We we just take a quick break. I want to stop you there. We're going to have more coming up with Tudor Dixon on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walters sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. We're joined by Tudor Dixon, former GOP nominee for the governor of Michigan. Follow her at Tudor Dixon. That's pretty easy on Twitter. Uh, One of the things you had said was that, you know, you you see the tide turning because especially with the lawlessness in these big cities. So I wanted to just bring a couple have add add into that because I think you are right. I think you're on to something. You look at Chicago. We saw out of Chicago, what was it last week, the week before, when you saw people in inner cities, right? People of color who were screaming at Democrats who they voted for for the last 60 years. And they're screaming because these illegal immigrants who are now flooding into our cities are being housed in their neighborhoods. They're not being housed in the good neighborhoods, right? They're being housed in their neighborhoods. And I know I sat back, laughed and said, oh, you get the government you vote for. Isn't that awful? Now you have suburban moms say it's not, it's not to me yet, but it's on its way. Is Chicago parents now are upset because the public schools are allowing the children to enroll with, uh, without health documentation. Yeah. One of the moms said, Right now in the school district in which we live, we have to provide residency, citizenship, health records, and vaccination records on an almost annual basis. Um, I must have five emails in my inbox saying that my child cannot return to school next year without a specific vaccine. It's inconsistent with what they're allowing for the migrant children coming into Chicago public schools. Well, they don't have to prove residency. They don't have to jump through the hoop of citizenship. They don't have to jump through the hoop of health records there's a double standard and they're just waking up to it. So this goes to the point that you were making. Do you think though, this affects them enough for them to finally make the connection between their vote and the government they're getting? Well, Chicago is an interesting example because we all sat back and we saw Lori Lightfoot be replaced by someone more radical. And we went, what in the world? How could this happen? And then just a few weeks later, the residents come out and they're like, "Okay, wait, wait, enough is enough. Now, I will say, I think that the Democrats have been incredibly effective with their messaging and trickery, to be honest. I mean, they go to people and they say, if you vote for this, you'll have this and this taken away. But if you vote for us, we're loving and kind and, and you're going to be happy and we take care of everybody and we take care of these migrants that are coming in. Well, what that really ended up being is that they get better treatment than you get. Because they won't have to fight to get an education. They won't have to go to the doctor. They won't have to pay for anything. And they won't have to vaccinate their children. What an interesting time coming out of COVID, coming out of a time when they were fighting in Chicago to even get their kids back into school. Because remember, remember, the teachers union is 
so strong there that the teachers union refused to go back to school because it's so dangerous to go to school with kids who had not been vaccinated. But that same teachers union somehow is on board enough with the Democrat Party that they're totally okay with migrant children coming in without vaccinations of any sort. And they're going to teach them no problem, no questions asked. They are being exposed for what they truly are. And when you see the residents of Chicago standing up, and, and like you said, these are areas that have typically voted Democrat coming out and saying, oh, wait a minute. No, no, no. This double standard. We've lived this before. We're not living this again. Well, hey, folks, the double the double standard is not, nor has it been, coming from the Republican side of the aisle. This is coming from the Democrats, and you're now seeing the impact of what their policies and what their supposed loving policies are doing when you actually end up with criminals on the street, foreigners in your schools, and people don't have to play by the same rules as Americans. Exactly. And you saw, I'm sure... Uh, London Breed, the mayor of San Francisco and the city's board of supervisors who decided to have an outdoor meeting in United Nations Plaza, which is known as basically an outdoor drug den. Right. And and they shockingly got booed off and they were forced to retreat inside. Uh, somebody threw a brick and people have had it. And you had uh, people say, you know, the, the city's been tolerating illegal, out-of-control behavior for far too long. When you've got somebody throwing a brick in the middle of the mayor trying to have a conversation. But here's the thing. The people may be upset, but the elites we've established in the last, I don't know when it happened, probably a, probably more so recently, or maybe it's just out recently. They're not hiding it anymore. We have a political elite we have a well-entrenched elite, and not just political, but the liberal elites in this country, more so on Democrats than Republicans, are far more protected, who don't live the life that the rest of us do. Nancy Pelosi, you know, you can't build a wall at the southern border. It's racist. Walls don't work. Yet she erects one around her home. You also, which didn't work, so maybe she's right. Uh, they, they erect a big fence around Capitol Hill to protect them from the horrible unwashed masses, right? Um, they don't want you to have a gun to protect yourself. You know, you have the police for that, but they have taxpayer funded security with guns or the elites have t- uh, private security with guns. So they tell us to rely on the police department and, oh, by the way, we're defunding them. You know, and we have somehow tolerated that. Do you think that maybe the ability to tolerate that is enough, uh, that, that, that that has been diminished enough for people to make changes on a local level? Or do they just love their guy because it's my guy or they just vote Democrat because that's what they do? Well, you know, yesterday I'm talking about this story. The, the AP comes out and they start to really go after Republicans that are running in local elections. And they say, how can these Republicans be running in local elections? It's because people have decided they've woken up to this. They're not going to yeah. let this continue. They have to take they have yes. to take their cities and their states back. More coming up with Tudor Dixon on The Brian Kinley Show. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. And I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. 
And we're here with Tudor Dixon, the former GOP nominee for the governor of Michigan. You can follow her at Tudor Dixon on Twitter. Thank you again so much for being here. We've been talking about the tide possibly turning and what's happening in Chicago and San Francisco. And you're starting to see people up in arms because they're actually getting the government they voted for, which I find amusing. There's a new poll that was just released from Rasmussen, and they found that two-thirds of voters believe uh, former President Trump was the target of what they called a political hit job over allegations of the whole Russia thing. And a majority, 59%, want the FBI officials involved criminally prosecuted. That's a big deal. That's a big number. 63% say that it was a political hit job. And as I said, uh, 59% want them prosecuted, which, of course, isn't going to happen. And we know that. Does that play into the tide turning? Because Trump is being seen now as a sympathetic figure. And his numbers keep going up in the polls, and I couldn't figure out why. And I wonder if this is it. Every time they go after him, every indictment, more people buy into this is a political hit job, and he becomes stronger and more of a sympathetic figure. Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing scarier than your government deciding to turn on its people and take over. And that's really what the United States was built to prevent. That's what the founding fathers, they they knew what it was like to live in countries like that. They said, this is never going to happen here. But did we not account for the FBI? Did we not account for our own investigative agencies turning against us and that happening within government outside of the branches of of power? And that seems to be what we've seen here. And now you have people saying, do we trust the FBI? And when you have American citizens who are asking if you can trust the FBI, that puts us in a national security, a major national security risk because our adversaries see this and they say, look at this, the country is melting down and they have a, an investigative agency that is willing to go after their own president of the United States. And let's unpack that for a minute. We see Russian the Russian collusion was a, was a hoax. I mean, Donald Trump came out and said this is baloney. The impeachment over the call with Ukraine asking, you know, was there corruption with Hunter Biden and the Biden family? Why are we not allowed to know about corruption between the Biden family and Ukraine? But now we've seen that that goes into a much more extensive, you know, we're talking about maybe nine family members now getting money from all different countries and many of them adversarial countries. And yet we were not allowed to investigate that. And what is the slow walk on the investigation going on now? It is absolutely a moment where we've seen Democrats, we've seen independents go, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is insane when when you have someone come out and say, actually, the whole Russia investigation can be linked back to Hillary Clinton. And where where are all those emails again? What exactly happened to all the emails? What else was this woman who was so willing to come up with this complete lie about her political opponent? What else was she doing? Can we get the details of Benghazi? Can we understand how corrupt the Obama administration was? This is This is stuff everybody, I think, is opening their eyes to right now and going, holy cow, this could be a lot more significant than we even know. Yeah. And you, you you also look at Matt Taibbi, you know, look at what happened with the IRS with him. And I think every American is afraid of the IRS. And to your point about the FBI, 
I I'm willing to bet that if I threw that topic out there and I say, okay, would you would you open the door if the FBI comes knocking? I bet the vast majority of people would be like, uh, uh-uh. uh. Normally, I would tell you, ten years ago, if they came knocking at my door, I would have been skeptical because I do know somebody who made that mistake. But I think I'll be like, I have nothing to hide. Sure, you know, what do you want to know? Can I help you in some way? Well, what sure, about I'll be running happy to for help office you. as a Republican? I mean, it was honestly a fear of mine. I'm like, when do the when do they decide to come in and investigate and say that they're going plant something on you as a as a candidate or or heaven forbid you win and then you end up in the situation that Donald Trump is in. I mean, it, it really is a tactic to scare people off from running. And it's been effective in many in in many states, I believe. I mean, I've talked to people and I've said, why don't you run for office? They're like, are you kidding me? I don't want to get involved in that. I don't want to be an enemy of the state. I'm like, when did it become a, a common concern that if you run as a Republican, you could become an enemy of the state. But that's really a concern now. When you see political attacks coming from government, that is when you start to see the downfall of society. And that's why it's so important that people fight back right now. Yeah. Exactly. So I just thought that was interesting. Uh, just very quickly, I, there's again, I want to get to the debt ceiling with you. There's so much I want to get to. Uh, the, there's a new poll out that shows that um, Vivek Ramaswamy has gained in the polls, and now he's in third place, Trump in first, DeSantis in second, and Vivek Ramaswamy uh, overtaking Nikki Haley and Mike Pence, uh, both of whom are going to have CNN town halls coming up, both Nikki Haley and Mike Pence. I find it interesting about Vivek Ramaswamy. I don't think he's going to win, but I think he is someone to watch in the future. I think he is very much in the Trump mold. And is that what it takes? Whereas Nikki Haley and, and Mike Pence are obviously much more, more moderate. Is that where the Republican Party is going? I think the beauty of Vivek and what he's been able to do is that he has been able to come out and be very honest without being negative. You know, mm-hmm. he's very knowledgeable. He goes into great detail. Most politicians don't. You know, there's like that warning. Don't don't get into too much detail. He doesn't shy away from any issue, but he's also incredibly intelligent, incredibly well read. He knows he there's not a subject you can stump him on and there's not a subject you can trick him on. I mean, he's been incredibly effective when it's come to some of these these, like I said, the trickery of the left, the things that they've been able to come out there and they've been, you know, you are a phobic if you don't approve of this, if you don't approve of that. He's been able to disprove that over and over again. He's been able to come out against some of this radicalization of students, of children and he's made incredibly strong points. So I don't think that he's going away. I think that him being in third place now is very interesting. I think he's someone to watch. And, you know, for all we know, this could be the next vice president of the United States. I think that he's definitely in the running for something big. And like I said, an intelligent guy who is able to really come at the issues straightforward without any rage or anger, just matter of fact, and, hey, we're going to fix it. Yeah. Yeah, I I, li- I do like him. I'm wondering if he gets a you know some kind of cabinet position, some kind of position in an administration, and I think maybe Tim Scott runs uh, for vice president with with Trump. You know, because t- when he announced Trump, didn't go after him. 
That that's true. It's interesting. Trump has not really gone after any candidate except for one. And that will be an interesting dynamic in this race, because you have also seen the other candidates go after DeSantis, but not Trump. So what this is going to be a tough race for Ron DeSantis, because he's going to be getting punches from above and punches from below. It'll be very interesting to watch. Why do they hit? Why do they think of him as the biggest threat? Do they believe that they can inch Trump out eventually, or do they believe that they can join the Trump cabinet? It, it'll be interesting to watch. Yeah. Oh, it is going to be very interesting. Okay. Uh, I promise, I promise, I promise we're going to talk debt ceiling yet. There, like, like I said, we just got off on a bunch of tangents, but I thought they were all you know really interesting topics that you brought up. So thank you for that. Uh, but we'll talk about debt ceiling because we've got some news out of the White House that I want to share with you about the debt ceiling and where this may be going. So that is coming up next on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Speaker McCarthy and I have had several productive conversations, and our staffs continue to meet as we speak, as a matter of fact, and they're making progress. I've made clear time and again defaulting on our national debt is not an option. The American people deserve to know that the Social Security payments will be there. The Veterans Hospital will remain open and that economic progress will be made and we're going to continue to make it. Default puts all that at risk. Yeah, very interesting because we're finding out that the White House is refusing to negotiate on work requirements for welfare as part of the negotiations to raise the debt ceiling, which uh, Tudor Dixon, who is here with me on the Brian Kilmeade Show, uh, I thought that that was a Bill Clinton program initiative, and I thought Bill Clinton was a Democrat. Kind of weird, right? Well, things have changed over time, as you've seen, and we've seen the effects of this in the state of Michigan. It's very easy to get any type of state aid without any type of work requirement whatsoever. And we have no one working. I mean, it's a devastating situation. We have factories that are fighting over workers. We have um, folks that say, please don't bring other businesses to our town because we don't have enough workers as it is. There is a reason that you should have to contribute to society in order to take from the social system. And that is because First of all, people are working hard to put that into the social system, but you should also be trying to get yourself on track so that you, I mean, this is not a a landing spot. This should be a net. This, This should not be, this should be a trampoline, not a net. You shouldn't be staying there forever. This should bounce you back into society, but the Democrats keep saying, well, we want to be able to take care of everyone at a certain point. There's got to be people working and continuing to go back into the workforce to provide those benefits for those folks that have fallen on hard times, need that place to stay for a moment, and then bounce back in. This idea that we're not going to require any type of work or attempt to get back on your feet, that's a problem. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely a problem. Uh, what I find interesting is Joe Biden talks about, you know, productive conversations and he says, you know, we want to keep with Social Security payments, veterans, hospitals are going to remain open. How come they never talk about Congress getting paid? How come they always get paid? 
<laughs> well, right. This is what we saw during COVID as well, where everybody's had to stay home, stay safe, but all of our government officials still got paid. No one else did. That's the thing that, that we're never hearing about is that government, those folks will get paid no matter what. And the people that are negotiating, the people that are making the decisions, the people that are changing your life, their lives will not be affected. That is obviously they're not talking about that because they don't want you to know that. They don't want you to know that regardless of what happens, they're going to be going home with a paycheck and they're not going to be worrying. Exactly. And and listen, we all know that these people are going to get back paid. So they're, they're going to trot out the poor workers with their boxes out the door crying and they're all going to get paid. So they're then they're going home with paid leave. So it, it's not the worst thing in the world. Uh, so so they they won't they won't work on that. Can I can I? What is the benefit? Why don't again? I want to find out what the benefit is for this for for Democrats standing strong and dying on this hill. Why wouldn't they want Americans to go back to work? What's the benefit for them to have Americans sitting out of work? Because they can tell Americans that they are giving them everything. This is the American dream. We'll take care of you. You can work at your leisure whenever you want. Gotcha. And I think, you know, to be fair, though, I do think COVID ate into a lot of it. I think people learned that they can work from home. They can do other things. They can make enough money to live on uh, and and have a sustainable income and maybe never leave the house, maybe have a side gig. The, the side gig economy just really has bloomed. And I think that may be part of it as well. I think that's that may be in there. Yeah, the side gig economy has definitely taken over in many cases. But you look at blue states, people are leaving. People are leaving. You look at red states, look at Tennessee. They have a lot of people working. They're not struggling with a workforce. They have a very skilled workforce. It depends on the the policies that are set at the leadership at the at the top. And those policies dictate whether or not people are going to stay home or people are going to join the workforce. And really, in the United States, we only work if we are all contributing. That is that's seemingly lost on Democrats. They seem to think that, well, hey, half the country doesn't have to contribute. We can't lift half the country with the people who are working. So this idea, that's why you see people leaving blue states. And I have had people say to me, just leave Michigan. I mean, why would you stay there? I don't want to be in the situation where blue states still have power when it comes to electing federal positions and we end up all becoming blue states. It's important that we change blue states to make them more more reasonable to bring make them purple and then take them red (laughs) well i I wish but i'm too old for that because it's not going to happen in my lifetime because they're like they're 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 locusts they just destroy where they live and then they just move on to fertile land and do the same thing again and then wonder why they have to keep moving Uh, in the time that we have left which is not a lot here um, we found out that foreigners now this is but from the center for immigration studies that foreigners are taking u.s jobs at the highest level ever we have they've hit foreign nationals holding jobs in the u.s has hit the highest level since they began tracking the data in 1996 it wasn't that long but i doubt it was higher before 1996 close to 30 million now hold u.s jobs the number of foreign-born workers holding jobs or looking for work increased by 1.8 million last year and it's american native-born americans only 1.3 million what does this do to the American wallet, if anything? 
Well, you've got a lot of people that are fighting for jobs. I mean, we talked about Chicago and you talked about those folks that were concerned about the people being the migrants being moved into their community. I mean, that's for jobs as well. These people come in and they will work at a lower wage. And oftentimes companies can get away with paying them under the table because they're not legal. It's it is a huge problem because this is driving Americans out of the workforce. It's leaving a sense of hopelessness. That's certainly not what we want to see. We want Americans in employed and we want to put, pick Americans first. And then honestly, if we could have a, a new immigration program or an updated immigration program that would take some of these people, vet them and, and put them into the right jobs. And when we have states like Michigan that are still looking for workers, but you can't be bringing in millions of people across the border and expect to be able to keep up with that. That's insane. It, it, and a lot of them coming across the border aren't can't speak English and you need to be able to speak English to rise up in the, in this country so far, either that, or I'm going to have to learn Spanish. It's going to go either way at this point, but you're going, you, you, they've got to learn the language in order to rise above where, what their skill set is currently. They're not, most of them are not bringing a high skill set. It's mostly lower wage, lower skilled workers that are coming in. And a lot of them are illiterate in their own language. So they're certainly not going to be literate in English. And I don't understand how you rise above something like an under the table minimum wage job with that skill set. So to pretend otherwise, I I think is we're fooling ourselves. Well, and that's why we should have an immigration system that is vetting people, because we certainly do need skilled workers. I, I come from the foundry industry. I know that there are plenty of people that are in Mexico that are in some of these Central American countries that could come in and work in factories where we don't have people and they have the skills, but those are not the people that are just coming across the border. And, and, and let's remember that allowing people to come across the border like this, they are then beholden to the cartels. And it's not just to get them across the border. For those of you who are out there thinking, oh, they pay their fee and then they move on. No, no, they're marked. They know for the rest of their lives, they are beholden to the cartels. The cartels yep. have a, a foothold in our country. This is not an open border. It is a border controlled by a criminal element. It is insane to think that the Biden administration allows this. Yeah. And to bring a full circle in the last 30 seconds here, it drives down the wages of American workers. So we're making less and less. So the people, there's more of an incentive to just stay on the public dole. Sadly, Tudor Dixon, thank you so much. This has been a fast, it's like the fastest hour ever. So thank you so much. I really (laughs) appreciate you. you, you sharing the knowledge with us and um, was an easier job for me on a Friday. So thank you. Well, I appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you for having me so much. All right. Uh, so, yeah, and, and also in some states, depending on where you live, they're addressing the shortage of, of workers by trying to allow children to do the jobs. So that's fun as well. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade on The Brian Kilmeade Show. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right, I like to think I'm approachable too. <laughs> I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. It is great to be with you. So I want to start this hour off speaking with somebody that I met at CPAC. 
and I believe I had met her the year before at so no, I didn't go the year before. So this past year at CPAC, I met this woman, and then I was at a political event in New Jersey, and I ran into her there again, and she really intrigued me. And she is running as a Republican senatorial candidate. She is challenging Bob Menendez, who is currently under investigation, again, by the feds. Uh, and her name is Shirley Maya Cusick. You can find her at Shirley for Senate on Twitter. I think you're going to like her. Shirley, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Mary. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Now, I, I just very qu- I just want to go quickly through your qualifications just because, you know, your little bit of through your background, because I want to get into some of the more of, of questions about Menendez and also something that you told me that really intrigued me. So you are Brazilian. You are a, a citizen. You came to America. You are a citizen. Your husband's retired law enforcement. You have a grandson uh, in the military. So you, you know, are falling right into what people think of as a conservative you work with immigrants, having being an immigrant yourself, and you believe the American dream is alive and well. And what you told me when I asked you know, why you were running, one of the things you said to me was that Hispanics in this country, and we see this playing out in some of the polls nationwide, Hispanics in this country are inherently conservative. And when, as you, as you work with immigrants, as they're coming into this country, one of the things you told me is something you do when you talk, when they ask about voting, because now they're going to be able to vote because they're becoming citizens. What do you tell them? Well, um, as an immigrant consultant, Mary, um, I just face many immigrants when they just hit the level where they have to choose which party they're gonna they're going to vote. So most of them doesn't have the right idea the who they are. So basically I ask them like five questions and I have fun with that because it amazes me how they are conduct to be in a wrong path. So I ask them five questions, simple five questions. What is the most important for them? And they come up and say, first one, family. Our family is the most important. The second one, the better school. They want better school for their kids. The third one, they want to have a free religion. And also, the basically, they want to have the law enforcement to act on their behalf when they need it, which is very important for all of us. So also, they come up and say they want a better living cost in the state. So I just tell them, well... Welcome to Republican Party. You are super Republican, and they are. They are very conservative. Very conservative. They are fam- They have their high va- high family values, and they are very very responsible. They pay their taxes. They work hard. Immigrants. We have to just pay attention on them. And it's interesting because I think the Democrats and most Americans have pretty much looked at the Hispanic vote as it grows in this country, except for the Cubans in Florida, uh, <laughs> vote vote Democrat, right? Like that's what they traditionally do. Look in New Jersey, look at some of the blue cities, look at Patterson with a very big Hispanic population. They vote Democrat. Why is it that they vote Democrat, but yet unless you talk it out with them, they, that's what they think they are. They don't realize they're Republicans. That um, amazes me all the time because, um, you know, it's a, it's there, uh, there is a very big increase of the young uh, uh, Hispanic 
population as a Republican and affiliate as a Republican. And basically, we they come to this country and they don't realize what exactly we have. So they, it's a large, large, large community, which when you approach them, when you talk to them, and when you explain to them, like on their language, as I speak Spanish, they realize they are fully Republican. They're not Democrat. And when they come to this country, they, uh, the whole uh, concept is uh, the Democrats tell them they are Democrats, but they are not. Yeah. When they go to school, when they go to the church, when they go to their values, they, when we go deep on their values, they are totally Republicans. Just so yeah. you have an idea, they don't accept these new rules in the school right now. So amazes me that Hispanics uh, are typically very conservative. When I tell them exactly my story as I start over here as an immigrant, they, they identify themselves with me as a Republican. I am a Republican. I make myself working hard in this country. I respect all the laws. And I tell them, you are me. I am you. So we are Republicans. So they affiliate and they become a Republican. You know you have an uphill battle against Bob Menendez. Obviously, he has a lot of money behind him. He's been a senator for 17 years, uh, so he's been there for a long time. And once you get to that point, a lot of people just vote based on name recognition. And and I would think that people go, oh, Bob Menendez, well, he's Hispanic. He's a minority. I should vote for him if they don't know the issues. How How do you... How do you think you can beat him? I mean, what is it? What makes you think that you can beat Bob Menendez is the key to the Hispanic vote? Well, New Day sent corruption with our current said Bob Menendez, Senator Bob Menendez. He is under nothing criminal federal investigation. He has spent over 230000 campaign funds so that he created another legal defense fund. In 2012, he was accused of having sex with underage girls after multiple, multiple visits to the Dominican Republican. Don't you think the Hispanic people will see that? So in 2015, Bob Menendez was indicted on a federal corruption charge. Again, he's in federal court for bribery for this company they call ISEG Hallow. So now he got with his new wife, a new car and new luxury apartment, all these criminal matters. Hispanic people, they're not stupid. They see it. We live in a new life. All the community I deal with all the time, they see that. They know that. So we're going to have a big challenge there. I know that. But guess guess what? We're going to have a beautiful result. The Hispanic, my Hispanic community, Brazilian community, all the foreigners know that he's not going to be okay in this in, in in this campaign. I'm going to win that because he is helping me out, Mary. Because this is the way we don't accept enough is enough. Corruption, no. So we have to cut that uh, uh, line of corruption. That's why I'm running. Yeah, and a lot of the people who come from these Hispanic countries come from a country rife with corruption, so they know it when they see it, and they know what it does to their life when their uh, leaders are corrupt. Now, you know, he, get, he I give him the right, you know, he, you're innocent until proven guilty, but he is under this cloud of yet another investigation trying to run a campaign. I want you to listen to this. This is uh, Sohrab Amari on Fox & Friends, and talking about Trump voters – 
And it's a it's a conversation about conservative leftism. But he's talking about Trump voters. And I think this may play into the voters that you are hoping to win, that you have identified as possible, surely voters as well. Listen to this. A lot of the people who voted for President Trump in 2016 fit that same electoral profile. They don't want Social Security cut. But they also think, you know, men men are men, women are women. They believe in a kind of cultural conservatism. And that kind of quadrant of our politics is massively underserved. President Trump served it as best he could. um, But there aren't many other options like that. But it's a very powerful force because working class people, um, they might be, again, in support of private economy unions. They might be in support of Social Security. But they also don't want the full spectrum progressive agenda with the trans and this and that. And they see that in some ways as a threat to the things they value the most. So what do you think about that, that idea of a conservative leftism, like a a, a social conservative? Uh, Mary, let me tell you something. Um, It's a chance to change. And my idea about that is. Uh, we, we population, we constituents from state of New Jersey and also United States, we, we listen to that. We have to take for, uh, uh, um, attention, take, take attention on that and move on to our path and change and start to vote for the right person and take like we have one Trump's area, like we now we have a great candidate uh, as a as a Republican, uh, local and statewide, and then now comes for the the 2024 election. So we have to take serious uh, this this situation and move on with right. a good time, get united, and get this country back. That's what we have to do. Agree. You can find her on Twitter, Shirley for Senate, Shirley Maya Kusick, and you can go to her webpage, ShirleyForUSSenate.com. Thank you so much, and best of luck. Uh, you're up against a big dog, and uh, having met you, I'm pretty sure you can handle him. So thank you so much. Have thank a wonderful you. weekend. Thank you for having me, Mary. Thank you very much. Of course. 866-408-7669 is my number. Lots to talk about coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I think the road to socialism runs right through a divided Republican Party. Everything we say about each other, the Democrats will weaponize against all of us, no matter who the nominee is. I'm going to focus on the real problem in America. The real problem in America is the feckless leadership of Joe Biden. It is time for America to take a stand and elect a president who understands how it feels to be on both sides of the tracks, who understands the broken pieces become a whole opportunity in America. As Senator Tim Scott. Wow, what a what a profound statement. How it feels to be on both sides of the tracks, someone who understands that broken pieces become a whole opportunity in America. Wow, that's really profound. I really like that. Unfortunately, I don't think he's going to be president. I think he'd be great as a VP. I think he'd be a great VP selection. He needs more time, you know. He's more time. Also like Vivek Ramaswamy, and by the way, uh, he is now uh, third in the latest poll. So it's Trump, 
DeSantis and uh, Vivek and Ramaswamy uh, with Nikki Haley and Mike Pence now um, moving down. They both, by the way, are going to have uh, town halls on CNN as well. So that is going to be interesting. So here's the thing. Um, you know, DeSantis declared it was no surprise. Right. And about three million people got on to Twitter spaces to um, listen to him declaring. <clears throat> they had some technical problems. That's fine. I don't know. I thought it was super anticlimactic, super anticlimactic, because we all knew he was going to run anyway. I had things to do. I'm like, I don't have time for this. I don't know. I, I was I was underwhelmed by the entire thing. But, you know, somebody said, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I said, no, look, no minds were changed. Were any minds changed by Ron DeSantis announcing that he was running? 866-408-7669. I mean, is there anyone in the Never DeSantis camp who are total Trumpers right now? Would, would any of them pick up their tents and move over to the DeSantis camp? I don't think so. And I don't think there were any Never Trumpers who moved over to the Trump camp. I just don't think they did. And what about RFK Jr.? He is hitting the economic populism. You know, he wants to protect American workers, but he wants tariffs. Right. So he wants the union, which a lot of Americans are like, OK, I can deal with with private unions. I, I, could, I could see the union thing. I don't think they like it in the public sector. They like it in the private sector. And, and then if you want to join, you join. But he's also says, OK, but they have to come with tariffs to protect American jobs. Well, that's out of the Trump playbook, is it not? I'm wondering if. RFK Jr. gives Biden a run for his money by siphoning off independents and right-leaning Democrats from Trump or whoever the Republican nominee is. Oh, think about that. Right? Because he said, I will, as president, I will protect American labor and American industry. One thing I will consider, tariffs on imports from countries that allow exploitation of workers. American industry should not be forced to offshore low-wage areas as nations compete with each other to sacrifice wages and working conditions in a race to the bottom. That's Trump. It is 100% Trump right there, right? And I'm, I'm thinking of this. I'm like, oh, I wonder if he could siphon off maybe the never Trumpers because he's mean. And I don't like the mean tweets. Vote. For him, because he's not Biden, but but he's palatable, right? And he talks about middle class wealth dropping to a historic low. The middle class is now defined as an income of twenty seven thousand to one hundred and forty one thousand. Seriously, that's middle class. Did you know you're rich? Because I have news in most places. That's not a lot of money. It's not. I'm surprised that that's that's middle class. Twenty seven thousand or one hundred and forty one thousand. Let's go to Linda in St. Louis. Linda, you are on the Brian Kilmeade show. Welcome. Hi. Hi, Mary. Love your show. And I love Brian, of course, and you, too. Hey, all this with DeSantis and Trump. I love Trump. Voted for him both times. He's probably one of the best presidents we've ever had because of what he did for our country. But he, unfortunately, is a lightning rod, and I think that DeSantis has got to be the next president. Trump needs to hand over the baton to him and stop trashing DeSantis because DeSantis basically is the same policies as Trump. He, he's he got a brilliant resume with his past, everything he's done. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the fact that 
all these voters in the last election that voted for Biden only voted for him a lot of the time was because they hated Trump. So they'd literally sacrifice their country and vote for an idiot like Biden versus because of their personal preference over hating Trump. Whereas we don't have that factor going into this with DeSantis, who's got an incredible you know, um, resume. And Trump needs to realize that, look, if he loves this country as much as he says he does, and we know he does, he's got to realize he's got to make a sacrifice and say, hey, you know what? My ship has sailed. What they did to me is horrible. We all know he was cheated out of that election. He's had one frickin' litigation suit after him, after the other, to just try to take him down, which is disgusting what these people are doing to him. And my heart breaks for him, but he's got to recognize the ultimate goal here is we have to win the next election or our country will be full communist control. Interesting. I hear a lot of people starting to say that now, okay, it's time. We, we, we realized you were, you were ripped off. And again, 63% of Americans believe that Donald Trump was the target of a political hit job. 63% and 59% want to see those in the FBI uh, criminally prosecuted for what they did. Now, I think that, though, Linda, and thank you very much. Have a fantastic week. appreciate you joining me, Linda. I think, though, that makes him a sympathetic figure. And that's why his numbers are rising in the polls, because that can't just be all Republicans. Sixty percent, excuse me, two thirds of voters believe that Trump was the target of a political hit job. And 59 percent want the agents involved criminally prosecuted for their actions. That bodes well for him, does it not? 866-408-7669. Also, the president of Mexico telling you who to vote for. That's coming up next on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. 866-408-7669 is my number. So DeSantis made his big announcement. We're talking about that. And uh, so it's it's Trump DeSantis. And Trump's numbers keep going up in the polls. And DeSantis has been going down. I don't think Trump, uh, DeSantis's announcement, like I get it. He did it on social media. He's, you know, on, on Twitter. He's hip. He's cool. He's young. Trump's old. I, I, I get it. I understand. I just... I don't, I, whether he, even if he had done it on like television or radio, I would have, I would have listened. I, I, I would have, but because it's easy because I can do other things. So I'm doing that at, I don't know. The Twitter spaces thing did not thrill me, thrill me or excite me or anything else. And ultimately I would have felt the same way, no matter how he had done it, that, okay, where any minds changed. And I don't think they were. He didn't talk a lot about the economy. He uh, most of the policies that he endorses are Trump policies, which I think Trump learned at the feet. Uh, excuse me, DeSantis learned at the feet of Trump, and I, I'm glad he did. I like DeSantis. If he gets the nomination, I am voting for him. If he has flags like Trump did, I'll fly a DeSantis flag. That's fine. But I think that you know polls are showing that the more they prosecute or persecute Trump, the more of a sympathetic character he becomes and the more the public wants to see justice. It can't just be Trump supporters. When you have a poll showing that 63 percent 
believe that um, that Trump is a victim of a political hit job. And 59% want the agents involved in the Trump-Russia investigation criminally prosecuted. That can't just be Republicans. That's got to be independents and maybe even a couple of right-leaning Democrats, people who aren't totally, absolutely insane. It makes him more of a sympathetic character. However, I do worry about RFK Jr. siphoning off those people who are independents or right-leaning Democrats or or are Republicans but hate Trump because he's mean – um, which I don't understand you people at all, uh, and, and, and siphoning them off because what he's talking about, again, is it kind of walks that middle line and is very palatable for people, even though he has a D after his name. Now, to add into this, my friend Harry Hurley just texted me, and uh, a story that CNN delivered some news for President Biden. This is CNN. You know, those people, the Communist News Network. I'm kidding. Uh, and and I, they're try, they are try, they are slowly stumbling into journalism. Good for them. You know what this is? This is the market working. What they were doing wasn't selling. The product they were producing wasn't selling. And they're like, oh, we need to change our product. That's a good thing. They released a poll yesterday that showed 66% of Americans view a Biden victory as either, quote, a disaster or a setback. For the United States, Jake Tapper says horrible, horrible news for Joe Biden. Those are bad numbers. Sixty six percent. Yeah, here we go. Here's Jake Tapper. Actually, here he is. Speaking of Jake Tapper, talking about it. Horrible news. Horrible for Joe Biden in our new CNN poll. Sixty six percent of the public say that a Biden victory would either be a setback or a disaster for the United States. Yeah. That's Jake Tapper on CNN. So it's got to be really, really bad, right? And remember, I, I heard on Fox, I forget who the gentleman was who was talking about it. It was on Outnumbered, and he was saying uh, that um, the average lifespan for uh, a man, basically the bottom line is there's a – 40% chance that Joe Biden won't finish out a next another term for you know another 4 years based on his age alone. We don't know what his comorbidities are because they're pretty much not telling us. But he's got a 60% chance of making it. But there's a 40% chance that Kamala Harris would be the president. That right there scary as all get out. Scary as all get out. Eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. I also told you that um, the Mexican president Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, or AMLO, yesterday urged Latino voters not to back Ron DeSantis in the election. Uh, he did say that he would uh, vow to build a wall. He said, "I'm going to build a wall on the Mexico border." Uh, he told a press conference, a government press conference, Obrador did. Uh, all of his playing politics with migrants was because he wanted to be the Republican Party candidate. I hope the Hispanics of Florida wake up and don't give him a single vote. Day uh, and and uh, DeSantis says, "Look, day one, it's a national emergency. We will mobilize all resources to construct the border wall, shut the the border down, and he wants to bring Trump's remain in Mexico policy back." Now, I look at that and I'm like, huh, all right, so what's the win for uh, Obrador if if they keep him out and he keeps Biden in? 
he can empty the jail, continue to empty the jails, get rid of all the people, you know, he's he's totally supporting. He can get them all out and dump them in America. And they send money back to Mexico and keep the economy humming. Right? If you take away those those payments back to Mexico, the, their economy would crash. Same thing with a lot of other uh, Central and Southern American countries. But it's interesting that I think Democrats want Trump in because they think that Biden can beat him. All right. Enough about me. Let's hear from you. 866-408-7669. Fred in Arizona. You are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi. This is a uh, – I'm from Arizona, a border state. And uh, I've always uh, – the last two elections, when Trump started in uh, 2016, he uh, – I did not vote for him in the primary. I voted for him in the general, and I voted for him again in uh, 2020. But um, I'm still – I think I'm not going to vote for him in the uh, primary because I think that we need to be assured of somebody that can win. And it's more important, Matt, more than ever to have a, someone without any extraneous issues to uh, go forward and go against the uh, – you know, the, the person in office who's basically a traitor. And uh, we don't realize that, but too many people do uh, believe that, uh, you know, he's going to take care of them, and we mm-hmm. can't do that anymore. So here's – and I get it. I, I, I think that – I, I th- the primaries are going to tell the story, obviously. But don't, don't kid yourself that you think that they're not going to do to DeSantis what they did to Trump. The, I'm telling I, I joke around like, oh, I can't wait to see who sexually who, who, who alleges sexual assault from at the hands of Ron DeSantis. Is it going to be someone from high school? Is it going to be someone from college? Oh, maybe they'll trot out someone in the military who says that he sexually assaulted her. Or maybe it'll be a man like I just can't wait to see because, you know, it's going to happen. You know, they're going to trot somebody out. There are going to be, quote unquote, scandals when it comes to DeSantis. And they're going to do to him what they did to Trump. So it's going to be interesting to see, though, how he handles it versus how Trump handled it. And I got to tell you, there's a part of me that really wants to see Trump get his due. He was robbed, in my humble opinion. That's me with the with the investigations from the FBI. All right. Uh, I'll take more of your calls coming up. I don't want to have to cut anybody short, so don't go away. I will get you your calls coming up next right here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. All right. Lots of polls show Trump rising, and I think there's a couple of reasons why. And CNN had a really bad news for Joe Biden with uh, 66% of Americans say if Biden wins, it's either going to be, they said it's either a disaster or a setback. I, I can go with disaster. And you have Jake Chapper, we just played for you, saying that, uh, yeah, that this is this is not, not good news for Biden. You know what? If they investigate Hunter, if that actually goes to an investigation of a, like a legit investigation, that's how you know the Democrats are throwing Biden under the bus and they're going to go to somebody else. My hunch is it's going to be Newsom. Let's go to St. Louis again and talk to Judy on KFTK. Judy, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hello. Hello. How are you today? 
doing just great. So what do you make of all of this? So I am a former Democrat voter. And what switched me over to the Republican Party was when a Republican candidate was not bashing anyone, but was merely, well, actually was bashing the the in-power Democrats' policies and saying how he would do it differently. And I think that's what our Republican contenders need to do at the primary. Don't bash each other. Talk talk about Joe Biden's failing policies and what they would do differently. And then the public, even people like me who are, you know, maybe Democrat-leaning sometimes, would be voting for the person whose uh, policies and, and beliefs more hmm. closely align with their own policy wishes. I get that. I totally understand what you're saying, but that's not what the primaries are. Look at look at what the Democrats did it too. Kamala Harris taught me why Joe Biden's a racist, right? That's what she did in the primaries. Uh, it, it, and this is what they do because they're fighting for their own position. So, the, so you've you got to push. It's like King of the Hill when you were a kid and you push everybody else off, uh, which is how my brother broke his collarbone. Uh, but, <laughs> but so it's like it's like that. So they got to go after each other. That that's how it is. And every now and then a policy sneaks in and I know exactly what you're saying, but that's just not what the, that's just not how the American system runs. They bass each other and take each other out. It's like rock'em sock'em robots. And and then uh, you, you come down to like, maybe like the top two and people cast their votes. But I think they need to do it based on policy when they're knocking each other down. I, I hear you. And I agree with you. I agree with you. Unfortunately, Eh, it's just not going to happen for either party anytime soon, don't we? Judy, uh, thank you. You know, I, I find I find it refreshing to hear from people who can say, hey, I used to be this, but now I'm looking this way. I, I like free thinkers. I, I like people. I voted for Democrats in the past. I've, you know, I've even voted for a Green Party candidate on a local level in the past. I, I don't know. I like people who take everything in and you make your own decisions and you don't listen to until it distilled through someone else. So good for you, Judy. Thank you. Let's head to Florida, Delray Beach. Jeff, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Oh, Jeff there? Oh, is this? I'm from Galloway. If you got the right guy. Okay, I think that's who it is. It says Delray Beach, but I'll sure. But you are Jeff, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm from Jersey. Okay, then I'm talking to you. Let, let's talk to Jeff then from wherever he's from. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm Galloway, Jersey, but yeah, down by the shore here. Oh, uh, so, my, no, you're I, in my state. Yeah, see, there you go. Um, I just had a thought on the uh, the whole DeSantis thing with the Twitter. Uh, we had an early beta space on Twitter, so I was one of the first companies to have a twitter space so a lot of people don't know what twitter spaces are mm-hmm. so it's basically just it's voice only it's no video i know brian was commenting about that the other day about not having video it's just it's like almost like um uh, they had like a, a meeting group uh, app yeah. that you could call into and everybody would just talk that's basically all it is so uh, that twitter spaces have had uh, bad experiences forever uh we were shadow banned in the beginning with our company poisonous pinups and uh, we tried to complain about it, and it just literally any time we try to join our space, they would be kicked right out. So it it still has a long way to go before it can be used as any type of platform like that. That's my thoughts on the whole uh, DeSantos and using Twitter spaces. He really should have done something else, and his team should have warned him about the problems with Twitter spaces. Uh, if they knew it well enough, they would have told him what was going on. I mean, Elon himself knows probably better than anybody, so – yeah, it was it was almost like this thing that I was I don't know, when I listened to the radio in the house, 
I can do other things. It's like when the TV, it's almost like if you do other things when the TV's on, there's no difference between that and the radio in my brain. Like I'm just hearing what's being said, right? So, because I know people are like, you have a radio in your house? I'm like, yeah, I, I listen to the radio. What's the difference between that and having the TV on and listening? But what, for whatever reason, when it's on my phone, I feel a need to like, ca- I have to carry my phone around with me now. And I feel like a kid from the 1930s staring at the radio, you know, li- diligently listening to it. <laughs> I don't know why, but I do. I just, I thought it was very, like I said, anticlimactic. So, but I appreciate the technical info. Thank you so much, Jeff, in New Jersey. Uh, and thanks for listening. Do we have time? Yeah, I'm going to sneak. Let's go to Jay in Delray Beach. This is Delray Beach d- listening on WFTL. Jay, welcome. Hi. Hi. Thanks, Mary. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. I just wanted to chime in a little bit on Ron DeSantis, who I love as governor of Florida. Don't particularly love politicians in general. That's why I'm a Trump supporter. Um, wasn't made his bones, not as a politician. Uh, fulfilled 100% of the promises he made to the best of his ability to, yes. to the American people. And uh, so I'll always be a Trump supporter. I think he's still up to the task. I don't think he'll be <clears throat> walking around and bumping into things and not knowing where he is like our current president. <laughs> I think. And I think uh, Florida is crucial. You know, I live in Delray Beach, Florida, and we elect Democrats to to Senate and representative position, not Senate now, but representative U.S. House of Representatives that are horrible, horrible. So we have leftover New York uh, liberals here. Oh, yeah. So it's very, very, very important to 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 keep Ron here. I don't want to lose him. Everything nice to say about him. He he's lived up to his promises to the state of Florida in a great way as well. And uh, we, I just want him here. Well, you know, you do, ha- and I, I totally get that. I, I understand. You're like, no, he's mine. Um, uh, but you have, you have Byron Donald, so you do have some good ones who are coming out of Florida. There are quite a few good, I think, uh, politicians coming out of Florida, and I think they're the ones who are coming up now, who are coming up in the mold of Ron DeSantis, who I think comes up in the mold of Donald Trump. You know, they're they're the fighters, and that's what we need. And Byron Donalds is a great fighter. I, I really like him, but I, I understand, Jay, how you, you want to keep him. That's fine. I get it. Uh, <laughs> quickly, let's go to Hank listening on WNIS. Hank, I got about 90 seconds. Welcome. Hey, how you doing there, man? Good. 90 seconds. Go ahead. Hey, listen, the bottom line is what I want to say is the Democratic Party is the party of projection. Everything they accuse Trump of doing, yes. they've already done themselves. Yes. Exactly, right? Yes. Number two is Trump obviously has been vindicated, and I think he's been there, done that. He On the world stage, he's great with international, like with China and all this stuff. Who would have thought that Saudi Arabia and Iran would be buddies? Who would have thought that China and Russia would be buddies? All this has happened under the Biden watch. I really do think that Trump deserves another shot, and who really took it on the chin was the American public. We got hoodwinked, and we got Joe Biden— I'm out of breath right now, but do you want Teflon Don or do you want Sloppy Joe? It's really that simple. Uh, I don't think that the, 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 the election was stolen. I just think it was rigged. It was rigged by the ballot harvesting, the mail-in ballots. Well, wait, wait, 
when I say when I say it was stolen from him, I think what they did to him with the Russia, 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 uh, not even going into the election, going to what happened when he was when, when Trump was president the first time. That's how I think it was stolen from him the second time, because they did so much to damage him. And I think a lot of it took hold and a lot of people believe that he colluded with Russia. A lot of people believed that the phone call to Ukraine was bad and so on. And so I, you know, that's where I think that happened. But thank you so much, Hank. We got to run. And Ultra MAGA guy says, I don't think Ron can win over the women voters with his six-week abortion ban and will lose the general election. Hmm. I'm Mary Walter. And for Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Yes, Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. Let's start this hour with Tom Kirsting. He is a family therapist. He's the author of Disconnected, and he has a new book out called Raising Healthy Teenagers. And this is so important in the era of, you know, social media and what's happening with it. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Kirsting, K-E-R-S-T-I-N-G. Thank you for joining me, Tom. Great to have you. Thanks, Mary. Pleasure. So you, there's a piece about uh, Vivek uh, Murphy, the Surgeon General, Murthy, excuse me, and he's issued a warning that social media use is a main contributor to depression, anxiety, and other problems in our nation's teenagers. And when I saw that, I thought, wow, this has to be big if, if you see this coming from, you know, from, from the, on a federal level. And you've got this guy blowing the whistle, especially with an administration that doesn't want to ban TikTok, right? And we do have uh, the rise. I think every parent knows there's a rise in depression, especially among teenage girls. We have a rise in suicides. And everybody has an anxiety. Everybody under the age of 40 has an anxiety disorder. We just used to call it like, you know, oh, I'm having a rough day. But now it's a a disorder that needs to be medicated. And I personally think, and you can disagree with me, obviously, uh, I personally think this is what's playing into this rise in this transgenderism i'm unhappy my life is miserable because i'm in the wrong body and if i change my body that's going to change my life and i'm going to feel better and social media is a is a driver in all of this what do you think yeah i mean social media i mean you you think about this for a minute right so the way the, the human brain works you know whatever we are exposed to on a consistent basis really cements itself subconsciously in our mind and it becomes our reality right so, you know, the anxiety part, to talk about that first, um, you, know, you take a kid, when I'm lecturing, I lecture all over the country, I talk about this in Disconnected, to take a kid that's 10, 11 years old, they get the first smartphone, right? It, it, right after that is when things begin to unravel. You know, the household becomes very hostile. Oftentimes, grades start to fall behind. Then they get caught up in, in comparing themselves to everybody else, and they turn, uh, turn that on themselves, and they think their life is, is no good compared to everybody else's. And then we have this sleep deprivation with teenagers, with kids, mm-hmm. um, you know, teenagers staying up till all hours of the night, uh, which is a huge contributing factor to mental health, anxiety, depression, and so forth. Yeah, and as far as the, the, whole, the whole transgender movement, you know, when you look at, you know, the fact that 40 percent of of students at liberal arts colleges identify as LGBTQ, um, you know, we have to ask, like, what, what what is the cause of all this stuff, right? And you know, and, and the answer, I believe, is that, well, where are, where are our nation's youth spending almost all of their time? Well, on social media, on their phones. Correct. That's correct. 
It's interesting because I, and I, I often wonder if it's a chicken or an egg thing. A lot of them are into cosplay, right? A, a lot of them are into that. A lot of them are into, you know, the dressing up, the furry thing, being someone else, which is great when you're eight years old, but they don't seem to be evolving out of it. And they evolve into playing a different gender, playing a character. I look at Dylan Mulvaney. Dylan Mulvaney is not serious about being a woman. Dylan Mulvaney acts and dresses often, but it's particularly acts like an eight-year-old girl doesn't act like a woman. In my mind, he's playing a part. And I think that's what a lot of this is, especially for young kids. They're playing a role for their friends that all their friends are playing as well. Wow, this is super trendy. This is really cool. But yet parents now are being taught that, no, this is real. And so your child really feels this way. It, it isn't because your child's on TikTok or on Instagram or whatever and looking at all these videos. It has nothing to do with that. It's because your child deep down inside really is a girl or really is a boy. And you need to indulge this and you need to get them to a doctor and get them medicated. And you have to help them through this. Yeah, I was on Jesse Waters' show a couple months ago talking about, you know, the, uh, Bill Mulvaney. And his segment was about whether... You know, a lot of that is is attention-seeking behavior and so forth. And, and if, you know, a lot of what kids do is attention-seeking behavior. They're looking for streaks, likes, followers, and so forth. But, you know, the whole – the problem with the, with the um, you know, the transgender, transgender stuff is just having a conversation about it, like you and I are right now. Mm-hmm. When neither of us are saying we're transphobic, we don't like trans people or anything like that. But even just having a conversation, you get some blowback. I sure have, you know, and I've treated kids at my office. I've helped plenty of kids. I love everybody, you know, whether they identify as transgender or not. But I think what we really need to do, it's almost like it's being, um, you know, to your point, it's almost it's almost like it's being encouraged and almost sort of normalized. And, you know, the problem with that is when you're, you know, when you're dealing with young kids, you know, their brains aren't fully developed. They don't really know how to think yet. You know, they're very, you know, very vulnerable. And, uh, you know, it's very easy to, you know, for them to, to think a certain way or shape their thoughts a certain way. And, you know, with these algorithms, you know, that uh, through social media, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, you type in some search in TikTok, for example. You know, if I put in New York Yankees, I'm going to get bombarded with New York Yankees videos. Um, you know, girls right. nowadays, you know, you hear about the eating disorders and the body dysmorphia. Yeah. You know, if some girl goes on there and, you know, just says, types in, eat, you know, something like eating disorder, they're going to get bombarded with, with, with videos like that. And it's going to get into their mind and, and often triggers them having their own eating disorders. So, so parents listening to this, and I, I, I always ask you this question every time I get to speak with you, uh, parents who are hearing this, you know, it's always about social media, but now it, it, in the times and the years that I've, I've spoken with you, it's evolved and it's gone from, okay, an eating disorder, my kid's depressed to my kid wants to cut body parts off. So what do parents yeah, that- do? Yeah, well, I mean, that's, you know, that that's a whole nother debate. I mean, the fact, you know, that that, that is even allowed, you know, for a young kid to, you know, cast, be, be allowed to be, you know, castration and so forth. You know, these kids, they haven't even, in, in, in that case, they haven't even hit puberty yet. You know, they they, right. they don't feel what it feels like to be a male or a female yet. And, you know, I think that's that's just wrong. I mean, I think, I think most people would agree with that. Um, you know, so it's, again, the parents... Yeah, it, it it's often falls down to the role of the parents, you know, and parents need to, we, as I say it all the time, we have to be on top of things. We have to be the best that we can be. And we can't really, you know, we got to be careful of what we're consuming ourselves and what's becoming our beliefs now based on what we're consuming. Yeah, you know, the, the, you look at these stats, students in grades 8 to 10 who were surveyed uh, last year said they spent an average of three hours and 30 minutes on average on their phone. 
And, you know, I just remember when I was a kid, because clearly I'm ancient and grew up with Moses. I remember when, man, you know, our days were so full because we were out of the house. My parents used to throw us out of the house, <laughs> like go out somewhere, you know, get home from school and, and you got a snack and you, we were allowed to watch a little bit of TV or you could go run around or in the summer, especially, or in towards the summer, my parents would be like, go out. It's beautiful out. It's not cold. No need to be inside. You got to be home in time to, for dinner and your homework. And that just doesn't happen. Now they're just sitting. So when we, we talk about this, we go back to, again, social media and your book, Raising Healthy Teenagers. Does it start, though, the, the, what you outline in your books, does that have to start now at an even earlier age? And it's not teenagers. Now it's like eight-year-old kids. Well, yeah. I mean, to your point, like, you know, I'm a child of the 1980s. You know, I was born in 72. And I mean, I tell people, I, I, I talk about in, in uh, Raising Healthy Teenagers, my mother used to say, I wish you guys could have lived in the 60s. I tell kids today, I wish you guys could have lived in the 80s because that's the way it was. We were constantly outside, right? Yep. And um, constantly. And, and you see these funny cartoons nowadays. It says, all right, 1980s. And it shows a mother, like, dragging a kid inside the house yeah. you know, to come in. Uh, <laughs> and, and, like, t- 2020, they're, like, they, they've got their foot pushing the kid out the door. You know, yeah. And the problem is, you know, play in recent years is down 70%. So you don't kids aren't as outside as much. And that is for young kids their natural habitat, right? So every time a kid goes out, and I probably talked about this uh, on with Brian or with you last time, but every time a child goes outside and plays, it activates something like three thousand genes in the cortex part of the brain. And that's the part of the brain that's that shapes us socially. So kids must be outside in the presence of of other kids, scraping their knees having the ball taken away from them, that is how they develop socially and emotionally. And if they're just sitting inside, they're not developing those critical skills that they're going to need as they continue to grow. Yeah. Coming back, I have a question for you that I spoke about earlier this week uh, with another guest about this um, transitioning and this just thrive to transitioning, how we're seeing more transgendered and fewer kids identifying as gay. And could there possibly be a connection there? So I'm going to talk to you about that coming up. Our guest is Tom Kirsting. His book is Raising Healthy Teenagers, and he has another book called Disconnected. Follow him on Twitter, Tom Kurt at Tom Kirsting. More with him coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. We're here with Tom Kirsting, a family therapist, the author of Disconnected, and his new book is Raising Healthy Teenagers. So earlier this week, I was speaking with Adam Zevo from the National Post and the Washington Examiner, and we were talking about a story out of England where there was a, a hospital called the Tavistock Center. It was, on hospital. it was a youth gender clinic, publicly funded, and it was closed in 2022, and it was closed because they did an investigation. There were allegations from staff there and parents that the pediatrics trans care was used as a conversion therapy for gay children. It's trendy and acceptable to be trans, but it wasn't trendy and or acceptable was less acceptable to be gay. And they shut it down. Do you think that 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 may be what what is happening in this country, that parents don't want a gay child, but having a trans child, the focus is on you, my, you know, your the kid's trendy. Look at what a wonderful, caring parent I am. It's almost Munchausen by proxy in a way. (laughs) 
you know, I ne- never even thought of that, but that's very that's a, a fascinating take on it. Uh, I do know this, you know, from some of the stuff I've read, is that, you know, with the, you know, ge- the, the gender surgeries and all that stuff that are taking place, that there's a lot of money in that. So I don't know anything about, you know, uh, this place up in England, you know, with, 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 with the gay students yes. and so forth. But um, I can tell you, I'll, I'll share something interesting with you, Mary. So I mentioned I, I lecture all over the country. I have this really great lecture for parents about raising kids and all about social media. You know, I'm like one of the leading experts in this territory. So I recently got canceled. So a local well, lecture. Good for you. Here, Join the cl- right, welcome to the I club. Yeah, I was supposed to give a lecture next Friday at a local school here in New Jersey for the parents of elementary school kids. And then somebody Googled me. And uh, they have a transgender child, and I and just and I I don't say anything bad about it. I just have conversations like I'm having now, and that was enough for them to cancel me. So, you know, that, that, that's that's that it's just a problem, you know. And it's like we have to have conversations, you know, in order to figure things out and to, you know, and to and just do the best we can as a society. Well, you, you know that tolerance is their calling card. I just I just got it handed to me by some people, but not really because I don't I don't play the game on Twitter because I, I said I'm not against drag queens. I love a good drag queen show. I love it. I think it's great. I just want to know why they never read for senior citizens and vets in nursing homes and only for children. Yeah, very good point. I know, I know, and it's just uh, yeah, it's just and I got I, nothing. I I just feel bad for this generation of kids. It's like, yeah. you know, they're spending eight, nine hours a day in front of a screen. We have an, an obesity epidemic now, which we've had for a while, um, you know, which is a, probably so, the number one health threat to kids. And to, to Very quickly, I just have two things, and I'm sorry to, to jump in here, but we don't have that. We only have a couple minutes. Two different stories that I think may so, help solve the problem. I wanted your take on it. One of them being that the soon-to-be Philadelphia mayor, they haven't had the election, but we know it's going to be a Democrat. So it's Sherelle Parker. And she is proposing year-round school for students and getting a lot of pushback. And I wonder if that would help with some of this. And the other thing is several states are enacting laws that allow children to now work as young as 14 now and to work until 9 o'clock instead of 7 o'clock on school days if they have permission of their parents. Do you see any either of those as being maybe somewhat of uh, a, to move us in the right direction? Yeah, you know, so the, the the so a lot of what schools are doing now. I did I did something on TV recently. I had a conversation about this. Uh, a lot of schools are are, are delaying the, the the beginning of the day by like a half hour an hour because kids are exhausted. And I, you know, I don't. I, I think it's a good idea. I don't know if it's going to solve the problem because these kids literally. I talk to high school kids. They're up to one four. It's one to four in the morning, like every night of the school week. Um, so like the full year school thing. I mean. I'm not, I don't know if I agree with that. I think I, I see a lot of kids at my office, and just this week alone, I had a lot of teenagers, and they're, they're like burnt out from school. Like they're at the finish line, and like the idea of if they had to go, you know, through school for 12 months, they, they'd be fried. So I, I, I don't think it's a good idea. Now, um, you know, as far as kids working at 14, I love that. I love, you know, I think we got to get kids out there working in the work world and and getting accustomed to that. You know, nine o'clock at night. Um, I think that you know that might be a little late. But I think that should be if they pass that. That's you know each and every parent's decision. And if the parent feels like, all right, my kid is, you know, isn't taking the most difficult classes, they don't mm-hmm. have a ton of homework, and they have an opportunity to work, great. But if you got a kid that's taking AP and honors classes, you know, being at work till nine o'clock at night isn't you know is going to be that's going to cause a problem for them. So I think that really should really you know that that should be in you know on the shoulders of the parents to decide.
And, and, and that is what the Republicans in these states are arguing because the Democrats think this is terrible and horrible. But the Democrat, the Republicans are saying, hey, let the parents make the decision. If the parents think that their kid can handle a job and think it would be good for their kid, let them go for it. You know, back in the day, again, because I'm old. Back in the day, you know, you would you would an enterprising kid would be out there with a shovel in the winter to shovel people's driveways. You would even cut people's lawns, right? Now you can't do that because of lawsuits. Because little Johnny got hurt cutting your lawn and it's your fault. And so mom and dad of little Johnny sue. So so we can't do that anymore. Uh, but I, I like the loosening of this because I think it gets kids, A, off their phones, right? Yep. It teaches yep. them not to be so reliant on them, but it gives them a sense of value. And so if we look at the kids who are searching for some kind of meaning, maybe they're not going to turn to the Internet and turn to, you know, cosplaying, uh, being a boy or a girl or whatever it happens to be. I love it. I love it. I mean, that's the way I was raised. You, Mary, you name the job. I had it. I promise you. <laughs> no days we were out shoveling snow. And the reason is because my parents didn't have any money. You know what I mean? So anything I wanted was on my shoulders since I was a young kid. And uh, it really, you know, just always having a job and working hard, you know, yeah. really transitioned. You know, it, it, it led into my adult life where I, where I do the same thing. I'm, I'm out working hard. I love working hard, love helping people. Uh, and we need more of that. Absolutely. Uh, there's there's a lot to be said for, but I have to say it's our generation that decided that we want our kids to have fun and we just want them to have a good childhood. So I'm not going to make them work. And if kids want money, mom and daddy are an ATM. I've seen kids just go up to mom, dad, I need $20 or I'm going out tonight with the kid, with my friends and we're having dinner. I need $40 or $50 and dad opens his wallet and hands it to them. And it to me, it is so foreign because I know that dad didn't grow up that way. It's and so I don't true. understand it. And the only thing they live for is their phones and social media. That's exactly right. But, you know, you made a really good point. Kids being out working, even if it's till 9 o'clock at night, what are, what are they not now doing? That sitting on YouTube and TikTok mindlessly, you know, being mentally programmed. They're out being productive human beings, developing. You know, and another important part about being out and working, my daughter, who's 16, she works at the, the, the Wegmans as a cashier. Um, on Saturdays and Sundays. Mm-hmm. And what's, what's great about that, aside from her making her own money, is that she has to deal with people. Yeah. You know, coming up to her cash register. You know, and that, that, you, know how, you know how hugely important that is? Actually having conversations with people, smiling, yeah. and interacting with other human beings. I mean, that's, that's the secret sauce to success down the road. Uh, absolutely. And it's why my husband won't let me take some of those jobs because he knows I don't like people. So it's not that I don't like them. It's just that I don't like some of them. And um, I have, and then that's because I'm old because, uh, you know, you hit a certain age and you know, you hit a certain age and you just don't want to deal with some people. We got to run. Tom Kirsting, thank you so much. I could talk to you all day. Uh, the new book is called Raising Healthy Teenagers. And the other book is Disconnected Parents. You need these. Thank you. Have a wonderful weekend, Tom. You too. Thanks, Mary. More coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. Let's get to your calls, 866-408-7669, 866-408-7669. So we, we had been talking uh, about Trump and DeSantis and, you know, whether 
we can have uh, RFK Jr. siphon off more of like the middle. Because he's taking somewhat of a populist stance on the economy. But yet then you have a new CNN poll that says that two-thirds of Americans are saying that they feel that Trump was targeted politically. He was a political hit job that was waged on him by the government, with 59% saying that they want the federal actors who participated in that hit job on the pres- on the former president to be prosecuted. So the more that they go after him, the more of a sympathetic figure Donald Trump becomes. Do I think that Ron DeSantis may be a little bit more tempered? He's younger. Absolutely. Absolutely. I Do I think he's in the vein of Donald Trump? Sure I do. Would I love to see Trump and DeSantis run as a ticket? Yes. But by the same token, I also realize that um, that could screw them up in the Electoral College with the way the voting happens in the Electoral College. And if it's a close race, they could lose. So there's that. That that goes in there as as well. Um, interesting, this the posting, DeSantis had said apparently that um, Trump is running to the left of him. And you've got cultural issues in the, in the country. You've got, you know, the transgender thing that's happening right now, the, the perceived uh, political persecution of anyone on the right, you know, the, the government uh, designating parents as terror groups. There's a lot of cultural things happening in the country. And Ron DeSantis has really fought them head on in Florida. I give him a lot of credit for the way he handled Florida and COVID. I think he's handled it head on. And I like that. Is it acceptable now for Republicans to wade into that territory or do you would you prefer to hear them talk about things like the economy? Because I kind of think first and foremost, it's the economy stupid, right? Like to me, that's the first and foremost thing because every it affects everybody except the ultra elites and they're never voting for a conservative anyway. And then I think the cultural stuff, kids, you talk about kids, kids in school. That kind of stuff, I think those two things, so a little bit of culture, but a lot of economics, I think it's a winning combination. 866-408-7669. There's a couple of other things I want to throw out here, but first, let's go to New Mexico and talk to Joy on KOBE. Hi, Joy. Hi, Mary. Uh, I'm calling from Las Cruces, which is approximately 42 miles from the Mexican border. So we've been privy to the uh, overwhelming influx of migrants as Biden took office, but what I'd really like to do is address the former Trump supporter that has joined the DeSantis camp. We've been impressed with, I've been impressed with DeSantis as governor of Florida and was really considering voting for him myself in the 2024 election. But, you know, many of my conservative friends are leaning in that direction, but that was before China and Russia formed an alliance in the, in the mid and, and, and the Middle East joined them along with most of the EU. I don't think DeSantis has the personality or the experience to deal in foreign policy, especially with what's going on in the world today. Our country's state of decline has reached untenable levels, and I believe there's only one man on this planet that has the personality and the strength to turn this around. I mean, President Trump has already proved himself and his commitment. This man is fearless. I, I just can't even imagine anybody that could deal with what's going on in the in the world right now, you know, in the last several months. I mean, things have really changed. And so I have to say that he's he's the guy I'm going to vote for. And I hope that other people feel that way because we are really in bad shape as a country. And I think he's the only one that can save us. I really do. He never 
he, the guy never runs from a fight. He he goes head That's on true. into it. I mean, if there's, <laughs> and I don't see that in the sentence at all. I I don't think he has the personality to deal with China or Russia. That I think it would be. Uh, a bad situation. You know, I I have to say, not to interrupt you, but I have to say that that's an excellent point that I didn't think of. Because, listen, my state, we vote so late that the the winners or the the contestants, you know, the combatants are already chosen, right? By the time we get to vote, it's already done. Plus, our state is a closed primary. If you were not declared, you can't vote and I am not declared. Now, would I declare just to vote in a primary? If I thought my vote would count, I would. But because our state votes so late, it's not going to count. So fine. So, so I really, I feel like I have no, no, no dog in this fight here. You know what I mean? Because it doesn't matter by the time it gets to me, it's already decided. I love the point though, that you're making about dealing with China, dealing with North Korea, dealing with Russia. Do you know Putin invaded Ukraine under Bush, Obama, and Biden, not under Trump. Why? And I know people think, oh, Trump's crazy. And I'm like, yeah, maybe, maybe he is, but maybe that's a good thing because our enemies see him as crazy too. And maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe that's a good thing because it keeps them in check. Joy, that's a fantastic point. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. I didn't think of that. I I, I like that a lot. All right. Um, I said I wanted to throw a couple of other things in here for you to talk about if you'd like. So there are a lot of studies that have been done into right-wing extremism, right? Right Right-wing extremism, you hear it all the time. You're literally Hitler. And um, you deal with people, if you're ever on Twitter, you deal with it all the time, right? So there's been a lot of studies into, you know, who are these right-wing extremists and how terrible are they? So these authors decided to do research on authoritarianism in individuals who are supportive of left-wing political ideologies. And they said, you know, they, and they make it clear that authoritarianism exists on both sides of the political spectrum, but nobody looked at the left. And here's what they found out. You ready? And then I'll take your calls. They found that it is linked to toxic psychopathic tendencies and narcissism. Now, this study is peer-reviewed and published in the journal Current Psychology. So there's some heft to it. They write, based on existing research, we expected individuals with higher levels of left-wing authoritarianism to also report higher levels of narcissism. And as a result... The study authors have coined a new term for this psychological behavior called the dark ego vehicle principle. According to the principle, I say individuals with dark personalities, such as high narcissistic and psychopathic traits, are attracted to certain forms of political and social activism, which they can use as a vehicle to satisfy their own ego-focused needs instead of actually aiming at social justice and equality. So in other words, they talk the talk, but they don't really walk the walk. They're the people who want, who will lecture you on what you're doing and, and tell it was they sit on their moral high ground. I call them elitists. They're very, very elite. They're very intellectually elite. And if you disagree with them, you're a rube, you're a hillbilly, you're, you know, you're probably religious, you're a Christian, those types of things. But when you get down to it and you find out what they do, they really don't do much more than that. They say, in particular, certain forms of activism might provide them with opportunities for positive self-presentation and displays of moral superiority. You know, virtue signaling. And they do it to gain social status, 
to dominate others, and to engage in social conflicts and aggression to satisfy their need for thrill-seeking. Now, the younger people, that thrill-seeking comes in, you know, you know, Mommy, I'm putting on my black block. I've got my backpack packed. And she's like, where are you going this week, honey? And Honey gets on a plane. Someone's paying for Honey's ticket to wherever they're going to go wreak havoc. I'm going to Portland. It's a summer of love. And put them up in a hotel and feed them and, and somehow take care of all their needs. And then they come home and, boy, look at me. And they get a thrill from it. Or if they're older, they probably do it on social media to put people down and attack them and get them canceled. Uh, The study showed that many times they do not practice what they preach. As I said, social justice is used as a guide for them to behave unhinged. They say an individual high in left-wing authoritarianism might declare anyone to be old-fashioned who is opposing their own progressive values. They will strive to suppress free speech to regulate the expression of right-wing beliefs in educational institutions. We see that all the time. They literally chase speakers off campus and even endorse the use of violence to reach their own political goals. Anybody remember the uh, the just last week, or maybe it was early this week, the professor with the machete running down the streets in New York because a reporter wanted to ask a question? Remember that? They say beyond using any means necessary, people of privileged backgrounds who align with left-wing authoritarianism often use their, narcissis- nar- their narcissism to make activism solely about themselves instead of achieving social equity for struggling groups. And I think of all of Hollywood, you know, when they, when they tweet out some message, you know, we're in solidarity, or they put the flag, the Ukraine flag, proudly wear it on their bodies, their virtue signaling, and it makes them look good. They say minority groups should be made aware of the narcissistic enemies from within their activist movement as these individuals could could hijack the cause, thereby reducing the success of the activism in many ways. They say they desire fame, distinction, elevated social status, and high social importance. They can be assumed to strive for influential positions that involve social visibility and outreach as well as access to financial and other resources. I give you Black Lives Matter. So I thought that was super interesting because we all know people like this. We do. Every single, I cannot believe you don't know somebody like this. Definitely morally superior, thinks they are, they're, they were, love the virtue signaling. They put the sign on their front lawn that says, hate has, uh, hate has no home here. You know, we believe in love. We believe that this life matters and that life matters. They all trot it all out, but they're not volunteering down at the food kitchen. Not happening. Or they're not making any personal sacrifices in their own life, but they're going to tell you the ones you need to make in yours. 866-408-7669. I will get to those phones coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. He said he was going to eliminate the national debt when he ran in 2016. He ended up adding almost $8 trillion to the debt in four years. And so he's running to the left. He, he's opposed to Florida's fetal heartbeat bill, which I signed into law, which says an unborn child gets legal protections when there's a detectable heartbeat, similar to a bill that was done in Iowa uh, and most recently in South Carolina. You know, he's taking the position uh, to oppose that. So it seems like he's running to the left. Uh, and I have always been somebody that's just been more than conservative principles. Yeah, so there's Ron DeSantis saying that Donald Trump is running to the left of him. Now, 
I don't like to delve into the abortion thing because I just think it's like discussing someone's religion. But I do think that, it, you know, Ron DeSantis is a six-week, the fetal heartbeat bill, which I get. And listen, I, I think it's great. But I think if you want to sell it to America and you're running for a national position, I think sometimes you have to look at what is acceptable to the majority of Americans. Let's face it, you're running to represent the American people. And if the American people are at 12 weeks, you know, it's a 12-week abortion ban or something like, you know, along those lines, if they're at a different number that they find acceptable, it may not be what you personally find acceptable, but I believe we have, we have a representative Republic, right? Our representatives are supposed to represent us, not just their wishes. That's what I'll say there. Let's go to James in Odessa, Texas, listening on KCRS. James, you're on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hello, Mary. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Go ahead. What did you want to say? Um, gosh, try to make this quick as I can. Um, for me, and it's just my opinion, which is worth yesterday's newspaper, I think in a national election, and Rush used to talk about this, in a national election, a Republican has to have the people vote for them in the purple areas and the light blue areas. They can't just count on the red areas. And I feel like that Ron DeSantis is more electable in the light blue areas and the purple areas. Just like in Florida, he won Miami-Dade County in the last election. That's unheard of for a Republican. Um, so my, my thoughts are nationally he can bring in the vote that Donald Trump just can't. I see what, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. And, and I see the Trump derangement syndrome, even from Republicans who just hate Trump. They just hate him for whatever reason. There's this visceral unhinged reaction from these people. And they're, they're so in the DeSantis camp that I wonder if because of that, again, RFK Jr. comes into play. And I think there are people who are down the middle who are like, if Trump becomes the nominee, there are people who are never Trumpers who are going to go for RFK if he gets the nomination, right, for the Democrats. And the same thing if DeSantis gets in. There are people who I think, although I do think that people who support Trump would would cross over more so than than the never Trumpers would cross over to Trump. I think they would do what they did in 2020 and hold their breath and have their temper tantrum and sit home and not vote or vote for, you know, the I don't know, another another person, you know, another party member, a Green Party member or Libertarian or whatever, and give the Democrats the vote because they morally feel they're superior. And so that's what they do. And I fear that. Yeah. Well, and just uh, one more quick thing. Mary, if you if you look at the record in 2016, although Mr. Trump had a big electoral win because he won a lot of states, he won five states by about 200,000 votes added together that gave him that win against Hillary Clinton. So he actually barely beat Hillary Clinton, and he either lost to Joe Biden, or if he there was some miscounting that's done, it would only be enough to make him barely beat Joe Biden. So numbers-wise, he barely beat Hillary, who most people would think was terrible, 
and he barely beat her, and he either barely beat Joe Biden or he truly lost to Joe Biden. And this is why, because of the Electoral College, you can't have the two of them, both from Florida. James, we've got to run. Thank you so much. Great speaking with you. Have a great weekend. I want to get Sharon here in Houston, Texas, on KSEV. Sharon, we got to make it quick. Welcome to the show. 30, uh, about a minute. Thanks, Mary. Um, I just wanted to say that I'm looking forward to the primary, and I remember in 2016 when Trump was running against a rather our senator, Ted Cruz, and Trump were running against one another. They tore one another up in the primary, but it's a honing procedure. They honed one another. And as soon as that election was over, Ted Cruz and Donald Trump have worked together arm in arm ever since because they're both running on the same track. And Trump is running on MAGA. We know what that is. Mm-hmm. And uh, DeSantis, look at it. He's running on um, GAC, Great American Comeback. They're, they, they're running on the same track. So get out of the way. I, I'm ready to just stop. I don't listen to polls. I don't care about the prognostications. I just want to see them run this track together. And then when it's over, they're both going to still be on the same track if they have their, their true to their course. And I think they are, both of them. They're in, they have the same value system and the same uh, mindset. And to me, age is not a factor. It's, it's the mindset, the state of mind, and the value system. And so I say let the games begin. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Let the games begin. I think the more people that jump in is fantastic. Sharon, thank you so much. We've got to run. Have a wonderful weekend. Um, I, I think that, that, you know, let the best person win, man or woman. I, I just hope in the end it's just not Joe Biden. I don't want Kamala Harris either, but that's just me. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.